and welcome to So What's the Problem, a podcast in which we re-watch movies from our youth to determine if they are problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing Supergirl, which was released in the UK on July 19th, 1984, and in Ireland on July 27th, 1984, and in the US on November 21st, 1984. It was written by David O'Dell and directed by Jeannot Schwark. I had trouble. I'm not sure if that's right, but... We're going to go with it. Uh, It stars Helen Slater, Faye, I'm an overactor, Dunaway, Peter O'Toole, Peter Cook, Hart Bachner, and Mia Farrow. Very, very briefly, Mia Farrow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, two seconds, Mia Farrow. But she gets, like, fourth billing or something. It's ridiculous. What's going to happen is this, Jen and I have thought of three problems that this movie has. Three problems each. And we've also thought of a positive, and we're just going to have a little discussion about the movie. So, Jen, what is your um, history with this? Um, My history is kind of blurry, but I know I saw it as a kid, and I know I liked it, because um, kids can like crap. Mm-hmm. But it was not something I owned. Like, usually my favorite movies I would record off TV or get my parents to purchase. Um, This one was one that I would watch when it was on TV. But I think I only caught, like, the middle or the end because most of my memories are just of the woman living at an amusement park, which I thought was badass. Mm -hmm. That's cool. In my child's memory, I thought the climax of the movie took place there, and it did not. So I really... I felt like I thought I'd seen it a million times, but I think maybe I just saw the middle a handful of times. Yeah. <laughs> this was my first viewing since I was probably under the age of 10. Right. Well, I watched it. I think I saw it on TV when it was when I was a child. So it was 84. Maybe it was on TV around about 87. So, yeah, I probably saw it when I was about 11 or 12. I love the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Mm-hmm. I did, too. Yeah, I grew up with them, and I love the first two. Anyway, and I've got a soft spot for the Richard Pryor one. I know a lot of people hate that, but I quite like the Richard. Is Pryor Is that the fourth one? one? That's the third one. Oh, the okay. fourth one's garbage. Okay, but here's the thing. Speaking of like children liking garbage, I loved the Superman movies when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and I remember loving the fourth one. But I haven't actually even seen any of them since I was a child. And right. all I've heard forever is how much the fourth one sucks. And I'd, I'd also heard that about Supergirl. And so now I get the feeling that I would I would be really disappointed if I watched the fourth one. Well, the fourth one's the one with nu- Nuclear Man. Um, and it's it's awful. It's it's what my one of my least favourite movies of all time, that movie. Just because of the quality of the other three. And just the way it just plummeted with the fourth mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Well, I watched this when I was a kid, and I think I liked it back then. I'm not 100% sure. I, I now own it in Blu-ray. Uh, I got it for Christmas, because I asked for it. <laughs> and then I got it for Christmas, because I've got a collection of um, comic book movies on Blu-ray. So I wanted that one, because I've got the Superman ones and the mm-hmm. Tim Button Batman ones. So which version is that? Like, what what it was the running time of that? The one I watched is was 125 minutes, so okay. two hours, five minutes. Okay, so we watched the same one. Yes. Because um, when I was researching it, I saw that there's a couple different versions, and um, it's so funny because when it was talking about the differences between this and the theatrical cut in 84, mm-hmm. um, and the difference is about a half hour or so, um, 
it sounded like a lot of the stuff they cut out of it, like they cut a lot of important stuff out of this, Mm -hmm. but also a lot of the cuts they made uh, made sense to me because when I was reading about it, I was like, oh, these were the scenes that I felt were too long. (laughs) Like I thought the opening was boring the hell out of me. And Uh apparently the, the version I probably saw when I was a kid was much shorter. Same here. Um, I've seen both versions. I know I've seen both versions, but I couldn't tell you the difference. I think the version we watched is the international version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I think maybe that is actually the version I saw as a kid because the American version is the shorter version. So over here we would have got the two-hour version the whole time. So, which is strange. <laughs> we actually got this first. We got this in yeah. the cinemas a couple of months before America did. So maybe like in that four months or whatever... Americans were like, you know, maybe we should trim like half an hour out of it. <laughs> the the thing that that's kind of sad that didn't occur to me till just now is that you know I read that Christopher Reeve was supposed to be in it and then he he bowed out. It just occurred to me that had he been in it, maybe DC would have been the first one with a multiverse, like mm-hmm. with a um a cinematic universe, and they Jimmy Olsen doesn't count for shit, so. <laughs> Um, she's the only one in this. I wasn't actually going to dispute that. I was just going to like, he doesn't count. It doesn't, yeah. He's barely in it anyway. I think it's cool that they're connected. I do think that when they do these things, it's important to see they're connected. I think the DC universe tends to get a little um, confusing because, like, how many Jokers are we going to have and mm-hmm. which ones are from which universe? And it's it gets very confusing. And they, they aren't as in sync um, across the board as Marvel. Right. So my first problem, Jen, mm-hmm. is where does her suit come from? Oh, that's my first problem. Where does the suit come from? Why does she have the suit? Like, what's the purpose of that? I do not understand. She, like, as far as I know, she doesn't know anything about her cousin's life on Earth. Nobody does. Like, so she probably doesn't know about his costume. I don't remember the Superman movies well enough to know, like, where his costume comes from. So I don't know. But, like, I seriously doubt little baby... Superman showed up with the costume no, on. He was naked. So like what well and I'm gonna since we both have the same first problem, I'm going to mm-hmm. add on to it and be like, how does she know about Clark Kent? Yeah, exactly. She hears the name Clark Kent and she recognizes it. She didn't even know what a tree is. You think she knows who Clark Kent is? <laughs> or what is? the suit is or the the bunny rabbit that comes up to her face isn't a deadly animal. That suit thing really made me mad. I was really mad about it. She had on this nice, pretty dress. Why couldn't she just show up in the pretty dress? Exactly. And then find out her cousin has a similar costume and then be like, I'm going to get that. I mean, I don't really think there's a good explanation for the costume. Like, she has to have it, but, like, she's only on Earth for a few days. So uh, I don't, I think they probably just did it because there's really no good explanation for her even having a costume at all. So why not just throw it on her? It also has the problem of that she has these powers that she can look at someone's costume and then change into it. Oh, yeah. It's like, that makes no sense. How can she do that? Yeah, she could have just seen a picture of her cousin and been like, I'm going to do that. That that makes more sense since That's she's already stupid. shown to, well, later on she's shown <laughs> to have that power. She can do that with the Superman costume. All she has to do is just look at the bloody poster in uh, Lucy's room. Oh, there you go. Bam. Mm-hmm. You see, I actually do admire this movie because it's the first female-led superhero movie. 
Mm -hmm. But there's just so much wrong with it that you can tell it was written by a man <laughs> and could have been so good. It, it, they had the opportunity to make it so good and then they just don't know their own rules. They make up their own rules as they go along and it's just so mm -hmm. baffling. It's just, you know. So that was your first problem then. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, there are a lot of problems with this movie, but I wouldn't be surprised if we had mostly the same. Uh, what's your second problem? Right, the, my, it kind of goes along with the first problem, but the wider problem is that it's the movie's lazy. Mm, yeah, like not just because of that, the, the they take a lot of easy ways out, but like the very first scene that she's on Earth mm -hmm. and she gets um, accosted by. Um, two guys for the from her truck and it's like why would why would they mess with Kara at all because they know who superman is um she says she's related to superman and she is showing you know that she has powers why don't you just walk away just leave it but because it's the 80s and because of men they have to be rapey i mean as a woman who's dealt with men, um, I, I, I like honestly, I think that there are way too many men out there, especially like white cis straight men, who, it, even if you said my cousin's the most powerful person on earth and we have a lot in common, um, that they would still get all rapey. But he, she throws one of them through a, a fence, and the other guy is like, "Don't mess with me." It's like, uh, "Did you not just see what happened to your friend?" And then after he goes through the fence, the movie plays it like a joke, like the whole thing was just a fucking joke. Uh, Why are you treating a scene of attempted rape as a joke? The thing that makes me really uncomfortable in that scene is that this whole movie, like especially the first scene on Argo City. Mm -hmm. She seems so innocent and naive. Like she, she's a teenager, but she seems so childlike yeah. that it makes it extra disturbing to me that what these men are mm -hmm. doing because she seems like a child and she's lucky she had that strength because if she didn't, something terrible would have happened to yeah. her. And so it just makes me like, there's anything, anything having to do with her and like, like that scene or her and Ethan makes me feel uncomfortable because she seems, she doesn't even seem like a teenager. She seems like an eight year old. Yeah. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, the whole Ethan thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, my, my point is just, it goes for like cheap gags and the guys who attempted to rape someone, the punchline is, don't tell anyone about this. And it's like, oh, what are you doing, movie? You know, just kind of... These are two bad guys, and now they're going to go off and probably rape someone else. <laughs> you know, but hey, funny, funny. Yeah, I needed her to murder them. Yeah. Like, that's what I wanted, is I... Because I, I'm like, this is not their first time doing no. something like this. These are the kind... These are the... These are the, the myth of the rapist, which not... I shouldn't say myth, because it does mm. happen. But, like, people have that idea in their head of the guy who jumps out of the bushes or in a dark alley or whatever, when it's usually someone you know mm. and trust. Um... But, like, this is, like, what, this is a man's idea of, and a lot of women, but this is a stereotypical man's idea of what a rapist is, right? Like, somebody who just, like, waits in the dark for a, for a woman to walk mm -hmm. along. 
And that somebody like that, I mean, they're they're definitely going to be a serial rapist. Like, that's what these guys are. And it's in watching it through the lens of like 2021. It is the scene is so problematic and upsetting in so many different ways. Um, And I just feel fortunate that we can articulate it now and that most people would understand what we're saying. Because if you watched this in 1984 and said, I have a problem with those rapists in the alley, Mm -hmm. a lot of people would dismiss you and probably think that you are exaggerating or overreacting by calling them rapists when they haven't done anything yet. Right. Yeah. But like these guys are fucking rapists. Exactly. There's there's no there's no way they're not. No, exactly. Do you know what would have been brilliant if she had murdered them both, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's her redemption arc. Mm-hmm. She learns not to kill people by the end of the movie, you know? <laughs> but at least the two rapists are dead. Uh, my second problem is my biggest problem with this movie, I think. Like, it's the thing that angers me the most. Okay. Okay. So, the Omega Hedron, which, like, I don't even know why this little ball powers this whole city, but whatever. It's the thing that, like, keeps... Everyone in Argo City alive. And they have a few days before they're all going to die. The city's going to be destroyed because this little ball has gone missing through uh, a window that is basically saran wrap, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that's not my problem. My problem is this thing disappears. She goes after it. She's got a few days, right? Or else Mia Farrow and everyone else is going to die. And she gets to this planet. She's supposed to be looking for it. And she enrolls in a girl's boarding school. (laughs) Why? Why does she enroll in a boarding school? Why does she why does she need to change her name? Why can't she say her name is Kara? Right. Like that's her name is perfectly good name. Uh, she says her name is Linda Lee. And not that this is uh, my problem, but I'm going to throw it in because it's connected. Uh, her roommate happens to be Lucy Lane. That's dumb. But uh, it just, like, why does she, why, and you could say, like, oh, Nigel's there. She does not need to go to this school. She does not need to go into a room. She does not need, like, that is going to be her. She does not need to go to class. She does not need to make friends. She does not need to worry about being signed out for the weekend. I'm watching this movie. I don't feel like she's really even looking for the Omega Hedron. No. And also, she doesn't even have to be near Nigel. She doesn't even know who Nigel is. She doesn't meet Nigel in the capacity of him knowing Faye Dunaway till the very end of the movie. Yeah, this is a total coincidence. Yeah. Total coincidence. So she doesn't have to be at that school at all. And I understand that they want her to have this... Secret identity, much like Clark Kent, because they are expecting that this is the first in a series of movies. I get that. I respect it. Make it make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, what if she knows about Nigel and she's trying to get close to him? So she enrolls at the school. Like, there's no reason why she does this, except that she sees some girls around her age and is like, I guess I should pretend to be one of them to blend Mm -hmm. in because this suit I'm magically wearing is standing (laughs) out. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Nothing none of it makes sense. Yeah. And it is so frustrating, especially since you know me, I love teen stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I I love the idea of her at a at a boarding school and being a, a an angsty teen. That's my jam. But give me an explanation. Yeah. Have it make sense. I wanted to like this movie so mm-hmm. much. 
I liked it when I was a kid. It's the first female superhero movie. I love me some superhero movies, and I hate that there aren't enough superhero movies with women. I, I've heard people talk about how much it sucks for years, but you could say that about a lot of movies I love. I really wanted to go in here and defiantly say I liked it, despite the 9% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But this is the part where I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this movie because I cannot get over this right here. That just goes to the, the whole point of the movie being lazy again, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Biden is president. And Trump has is not only not president anymore, but he's been kicked off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, the most I have to hear from him anymore is when he writes a letter to Andrea Zuckerman from 90210. Nice. Okay? Like, I... This, this, this person that my anger was going towards for the past, like, five mm-hmm. years is kind of out of my life right now. So shit like this is pissing me off way more than it should. <laughs> I've got a lot of anger and right now... See, I don't think that's true. It's all going towards this movie. I don't think that's true. I think this movie deserves it. I think I don't think that if Trump was still president, you would like this movie. I think the movie's awful and it deserves it. I don't think I would be as angry about it. I swear to you. I am pettier these days. Right. No, I understand that. But Like the past couple of weeks I've been pettier. And I'm, I don't think I would have been as angry at this movie because I'm just like, I'm, I'm just now like while I'm ranting, realizing the rage I have towards this movie yeah. is not normal. No, I understand that. But this movie <laughs> deserves anger. It has rape as a plot point in it. And it has, well, the whole bloody uh, Selena making Hart Buckner's character into a love slave. And all that fucking nonsense. Mm. This movie deserves to get kicked when it's down because it is awful and it has terrible things in it. And I have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> so at least the picture's lovely. You're part of the problem. Yeah, I'm part of the problem. I didn't pay for it, but <laughs> part of the problem. Can I say one fun thing? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, you just said Hart Buckner's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked him up because I'm like, what else has this guy been in? Because, like, I don't know. He directed PCU and High School High. Mm. Yeah. He's in Die Hard and Urban Legends Final Cut. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that he directed PCU is really interesting to me. My husband's best friend, uh, when I met them in the 90s, uh, PCU was his favorite movie. Like, his um, his screen name everywhere is a PCU reference. Like, he's, he still has the same screen name from when he was, like, 16. Um, like, just, just the idea that, like, this guy directed High School High with John Lovitz. Mm-hmm. Um it just it kind of cracked me up. So that's my fun my fun non ranty fact for you. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's good. He was also in a um, he was in a pilot that I did for Drop the Pilot, and that is when I got to talk to the writer of that pilot, David Mish. So um, so and then he did an episode with me. So that was good. That's cool. Yeah. So my third problem is the love story. Yeah. Um, because let's put aside the fact that the very first female superhero movie has her fighting for a man. Let's just, you know, forget about that for a wee second. Mm-hmm. The relationship between Kalinda, I wrote down Kalinda because Karen Linda and I'm funny, um, and Ethan, <laughs> <laughs> it's based on a lie. Yeah. It's based on a spell. And 
I didn't like the fact that he still loves Linda after the spell is lifted. Yeah. He shouldn't, but he does, and it's really gross. And my other the other problem I was gonna do was Selena as a bad as a villain mm. because she's also a potential well, she's you know, a rapist. You know she's buying time. Yeah, it's... Oh, God. Okay, so I have a question about Selena and Nigel. Mm-hmm. Um, I was... In their first scene, I'm very, very distracted by the elaborate picnic. Um, Like, I was... I was obsessed... <laughs> with the very elaborate picnic setup. So honestly, I wasn't totally paying attention to the scene mm-hmm. because like I see this setup and all I can think is about is like pack them packing the stuff up and taking it there and setting it all like I'm thinking realistically about the logistics and you do see Nigel later holding all this stuff and it's it shouldn't be more than one picnic basket and one blanket's worth but Mm. it's like way more like a picnic shouldn't be that much for two people but anyway so I'm so obsessed with this I'm not listening to the dialogue in that first scene do they talk about the fact that they're a witch and a warlock it's hinted that, yeah. They make it clear that she's a witch, at least, I think. Can't remember. Okay, because I, I was a little confused about, like, what... Because it's like she gets the megahedron and immediately, like, starts saying some shit that, like, mm-hmm. indicates that she knows it's something powerful. And I'm like, how does she know this? Who is she? Like, I was so confused about what was going on. Um, but then I had to admit to myself that I was not paying attention, but that, like, this movie, I already was so annoyed with it that mm. I didn't want to rewind the scene and rewatch it. No, I think I think they mention it, yeah. That's my problem, not theirs. Okay. Because when I was reading stuff about it, I'm like, oh, okay, he's a warlock, she's a witch. But, like, I just wasn't sure if that was me as a viewer failing to do my job watching the movie mm-hmm. or if it was them failing like they did with everything else. Mm-hmm. But everything I read, it seemed like no one else was confused. So I think it was just me focusing on the picnic. Yeah, well, the picnic, for anyone who hasn't actually watched the movie in a while or hasn't seen it at all, the picnic is like a lot of food. But instead of on a blanket, it's on like the um, the corpse basically of a tiger. It's a skinned tiger, and there's a tiger head. <laughs> um, so you know it's quite elaborate and gross. It's a lot. It's a lot, and I I could not handle it, and I frankly didn't want to handle it. There's so much wrong with this movie. There's just like right. Here's a question for you, Jen. Okay. How does Selena know what the Phantom Zone is? I don't know, man. I don't know. And it she mentions the Phantom Zone later. How does she know what it is and where they are? Here here's the thing. And I think I think I've brought this up before when we've talked about other movies um that were not good. I am wondering if this is yet another victim of multiple drafts that like when you're watching mm-hmm. a movie and you have this many questions, it often turns out that there were a bunch of drafts and possibly a ton of writers um, working on it at different times and that things that made sense in one draft were changed to where like the thing that would tie it together, like maybe there's a draft where you like, there's a reason she knows what the phantom zone is. Um, And then that gets Mm. cut out. So then this is confusing. I have to hope that's what it is. Like, I have to hope it's not like, because this is like Tommy Wiseau level bad script yeah and the idea that 
this would just be one or two people just totally just writing a bad movie. Like I need to be told that it was like a bunch of drafts by a bunch of people. <laughs> like that's the only thing that makes sense to me where I like don't want to punch someone. Well, I can tell you that it was a rushed production. Um, they wanted to get it done as quickly as possible. And it was also, uh, they had a very small budget, which is why in one scene, Supergirl was fighting an invisible monster. <laughs> Because it didn't have the budget to have an actual monster there. All right. And that is... All right. <laughs> um, not, they didn't really have a studio behind it. There's no studio logos at the beginning of this movie. Um, it's distributed by Warners because they now own DC, but... No, it was just like it was just like this dude and his son, I think, that, that were... The Wikipedia page for this... So, like, when we, when we do this podcast, unless I'm doing things last minute, I usually at least go read the Wikipedia page, and usually there's not a ton. Like, if it's a super, super popular movie... Um, like something like Sleepless in Seattle or something like maybe the page is longer because there's been more interviews and stuff about it throughout the years Mm -hmm. but normally with something like this there usually wouldn't be that much this Wikipedia page was extensive and there's a lot of history about like the people who made it and who distributed Mm -hmm. it and like things that happen with studios Um, and it, it just sounds like it was just a mess um and it it also i feel like i anytime i read about like just randos making like producing a movie it's not great it's like um the people who did buffy the vampire slayer the movie which we should we should do that sometime it's on the list it sounds like those producers made a lot of bad decisions and it's i think there's something about Mm -hmm. not having a major studio to rein you in because while i do think that studios sometimes interfere in terrible ways sometimes (laughs) they uh they can help clarify things help um clean up a movie before it even gets made well the director um he had directed jaws 2 before this and um he went on to direct um santa claus the movie uh (laughs) the following year from this I forgot about that movie, and I don't remember much about it, but when I saw it listed there, I was like, I know I've seen this. Like, I know I watched this as a kid. Um, Another question. Uh, Why does Bianca, who is great, I love Bianca, but why does Bianca get dragged into the mirror with Selena, but Nigel doesn't? And Nigel is just as complicit because he (laughs) went over there to give her power and then he, she stiffed him, but he's still complicit in a way because he took that stick thing. So why does he get away with it? I have the answer for this. I actually do know the uh-huh. answer to this. Um, it is because only women need to be punished. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And another question. Why does Kara, who has actually been quite sort of smart with her disguise up until this point, why does she walk into the school dressed as Supergirl? Why? Just for that joke with the drunk woman? I don't know. (laughs) I don't have an answer for that. Um, Uh, Do you want to know the funny thing about my third problem? What? I don't know what it is because I have so many problems with this movie. I didn't even finish filling out my problems because (laughs) I couldn't figure out what made me the angriest 
So I have to just say, um, it is the it's the overacting. I was gonna say, just say Faye Dunaway in this. <laughs> I don't get people like Faye Dunaway having careers. Like I understand that a lot of women are labeled difficult for like you have Ashley Judd, right? Who seems very nice. She mm-hmm. seems like a very lovely woman. And I don't know what she's like in real mm-hmm. life, but I think I've I've mostly heard, you know, good things. She's supposed to be, you know, very, very lovely. And she gets labeled difficult by Harvey Weinstein because she won't sleep with him. Okay. Like that is yeah. a very common story. So when I hear that an actress is known for being difficult. Um, I tend to think that they're probably more like Ashley Judd, who just like wouldn't sleep with a producer or something and then got that label. Faye Dunaway is the kind of person you hear enough and you just see her in interviews and stuff and you know they are not lying about her. No. She is what they call a diva. Yeah. Which I'll say this, like the women that you find out have been labeled as difficult. Like when somebody gets labeled as diva, that's usually a whole other level from like your Ashley Judd type situation. Um, Faye Dunaway seems just terrible. Um, And I don't understand why people like that get work when... They had so many problems with this production because she was showing up late and she and they I do love that they apparently eventually told her you are disposable and we will recast you because uh-huh. um, someone like her probably needs to hear that. But she it, it drives me crazy that people come on to like somebody comes onto a movie like this that like actually like really screws up production and um, affects other people's jobs and then they're not even good at their job. Yeah. See, the thing about Faye Dunaway is I perfectly understand how she has a career um, because I've seen the way she looked in the 1970s. Um, (laughs) I mean, and she can be a very good actress. She can be a very good actress. But at this point, especially, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't mean to support sexism. No. (laughs) Okay. But at this point, at this, I don't know how old she was here, here, but this is the age where actresses have trouble getting work. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand why when actresses at this age have trouble getting work, why she is the one that is getting the work. Yes. You know, it's not like she's the only bad actor in this movie. There's plenty. I mean, there's a lot of overacting in this movie, which I think that there was a time when people thought that's what it took. Like, that's what you had to do in a superhero movie. I also think that superhero movies were not respected. And so a lot of actors just didn't do their best because they didn't care. And it was just a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not going to criticize Helen Slater because I don't think she's terrible. I don't think she's great, but she's very, she's new. This is like her third credit. Um, She's only 19 when she did this. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not going to criticize her, but these veteran actors that are in it, they are ridiculous, and I so it it does make me wonder if it was the director, yeah, um, or if it was just all these actors having an attitude because I've just heard so many stories about actors, like especially like Academy Award nominees and winners, like having to do this because this is all that's offered to them, mm-hmm. and having an attitude towards it and just not doing a good job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like you're a Donald Sutherland in a. Buffy the Vampire Slayer like he went in and just said lines that didn't even make sense because he didn't care and didn't make it a secret we'll get there and also can we can we just mention how how badass Lucy Lane is 
Mm-hmm. Can we just sort of mention that though? That she is a badass. Here's here's the thing. I mm-hmm. hate complaining about the school stuff mm-hmm. because I actually really like Lucy Lane. Um, and while she everything surrounding her character mm-hmm. and her character setting is completely contrived, um, I do really love her and I I like her hanging out with Jimmy Olsen and I, I love that at the end they're just like yeah, dude, we know, you know, we're going to keep your secret. Like, we know what's yeah. going on. We're going to keep your secret. Like, we're cool. I, I, it, it's like there's these things, these parts in this movie that are actually decent, but they are attached yeah. to just like stuff that I can't get past. And it, it makes me sad there wasn't a sequel because I think that this movie, part of it suffered from, um, people making it not understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, how to do an origin story, but now that they've set up her alter ego and everything, like I think a second movie maybe could have been a lot better, um, because so many of the problems with this movie are th- just the setup of everything, like her her costume just mm. appearing on her, or like why is she at this boarding school? But I would love to watch another movie with her at this <laughs> boarding school, and like she's dating the groundskeeper Ethan, but like she's also got to fight evil. I'd I'd be into it, and I think it could have been it could have been decent. But this movie doesn't actually even set up for a sequel, which is good because she goes home. Um, what what is your positive? My positive is the score, because I love Jerry Goldsmith so much, and I like the theme and a lot of this, and you know the incidental music. I just I love it. And also, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Howard Jones, Mm-mm. but he was quite popular in the eighties in the UK. And two of his songs, there's only two songs in this movie, and both of them are by Howard Jones, and they are uh, "What Is Love." And new song, um, what is love got to number two in the UK charts? The new song got to number three in the UK charts. Um, can I give you a positive, two positives? Yes. One is for little, probably like seven or eight year old Jennifer, and the other one is for thirty nine year old Jennifer. Both of you carry on. Uh, my positive for little Jennifer is the fact that uh, Bianca and Selena live in an amusement park. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically in some sort of like haunted house ride, um, that I just, I wanted, I wanted to say a phantasmagoria ride, but you don't know that there was an amusement park less than a mile Mm -hmm. from my house when I was growing up and there's a ride called phantasmagoria and that's what this looks like to me. Um, so I've always thought of it as they lived in the phantasmagoria. And the thing is, is I know I caught at least parts of this many, many times on TV and the only thing I ever really remembered was Faye Dunaway and this amusement uh-huh. park. Um, it was in my child's memory. It was a much bigger part of this movie right. than it is. And um, I think if I hadn't been so, so um, if my imagination hadn't been captured by this uh, amusement park, I wonder if I would even remember having watched this movie when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so that that's my positive that I had to say for, for yeah. little Jenny. And then my my adult positive, it's not the character of Bianca. I mean, I do like the yeah. character of Bianca, which I actually thought was going to be your positive. It is specifically one line that she says. Right. I think I know what line it is. <laughs> my positive for this movie is when Bianca says, the mm. way to a woman's heart is through the elimination of yes. her rivals. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It was amazing. I had to pause the movie to write it down so I could get the wording exactly right. Like this, this line 
Like, th- this is the kind of line that if it weren't so wordy, maybe I would get it tattooed. And I don't have any, I don't have any tattoos. Maybe this quote would be my first tattoo. It is a, an excellent line. It is said by the perfect, if it was said uh, by Selena, I wouldn't no. like it so much. But it is said by Bianca. It is the best part of this movie. Yeah, I was thinking about doing Bianca, having Bianca as my positive, but I just really like Jerry Goldsmith and the score. I knew the score because I have listened to it on Spotify, so that was my positive going in mm-hmm. before I even rewatched the movie. Because I like the score, so... <laughs> I don't, and I don't think Bianca should have been sent away because she is clearly a mm-hmm. follower and she was also being mm-hmm. bullied and was probably afraid for her life. I think that Nigel is more of a threat to anyone and anything yeah. than Bianca. And I think that honestly, Bianca could have been an ally just by like, if they get rid of Selena, she needs someone new mm-hmm. to follow. And she totally would have followed <laughs> Linda slash Kara slash Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I don't understand why she had to get dragged in as well. That wasn't fair. Before we go, I have one fact about this movie. And okay. that is, uh, because I've said a lot about the movie, so I'll just say one fact. that The scene where she comes flying out of the water and she has her uniform on or her costume on for mm-hmm. some reason. They tried to do that so many ways. And the way they ended up doing it is it's actually a cardboard cutout. Yeah. So it's a cardboard cutout just getting dragged out the water. I give it credit for existing. Because this is a time where we're not getting superhero movies. Superman was a big deal. Um, And the fact that like looking back and seeing that this, they're not doing superhero movies now besides Superman, the fact that like they went with Supergirl instead of like um, Batman or even like, you know, the Flash or Green Lantern or, Mm. you know, whatever that they went with a female superhero. Like, look at how long it took Marvel to do a female led superhero Mm -hmm. movie. Um, this is DC as far as like what they've done with female superheroes. Um, I, Marvel may make, in my opinion, the superior superhero films. DC has taken way less time to get to the women, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wonder Woman came out pretty quickly after they were like, we're going to do this multiverse. Or not multiverse, cinematic. Catwoman had their own movie. It's garbage, but she had their own movie. She did. And it was Halle Berry. They didn't Mm -hmm. do, like, a white woman. Mm -hmm. So um, DC has, their execution is not great, but uh, they've been better for for women, um, especially since Wonder Woman, you know, was directed by a woman because mm-hmm. women should be doing these things, um, especially well, because uh, females need superhero movies and we need them done uh, in a way where we can respect the women. Wonder Vision is primarily written by women. Is it? It's mo- yeah, it's mostly a female writing staff. A male director, but female writing staff. And Blade is, uh, they just announced, is going to be written by a black woman. Oh, I can't wait for Blade. I love Blade. Right? I've never seen Blade. <laughs> Have you not? <laughs> oh, I've read some of the comics when I was a kid. Um, my my favourite when growing up, I wasn't really into, I liked Spider-Man, but I wasn't really into I, I like to punish her. And, um, Ghost Rider was my jam when I was a child. I loved it. Um, anyway, uh, that's all we have time for. Um, you can follow the podcast at Drop the Pilot Pod, which covers all my podcasts. Shifty Bench 
shiftedbench.co.uk is the website. Contact at shiftedbench.co.uk. Please contact us. Um, let us know why you like this movie. Um, so where can people follow you on the internet, Jen? Uh, I tweet it at Pilot Inspectors. And I also have a Party 5 Rewatch podcast called Closer to Free. And I'm at Closer to Free Pod on the social media. And um, can I just say I want to do Buffy next? Yeah, okay. We're going to do the 1992 <laughs> um, cinematic classic that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, we'll do that next. Okay. That was off the cuff. I had no idea she was going to say that. But that's brilliant. That's good. I... I wanted to say it now before I forgot, yeah, no, and good. I know you like to announce it. Right, thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.